0: All right. Good morning, Joey, at first. Good to see you this morning. Thanks for braving the snow. I'll half of an inch of it. Thanks for being here this morning. Uh, it was beautiful coming in. Uh, it was snowing about 7 a.m. It's just great. But thank you for being here. Uh, we're excited for today. I'm excited for today. And the reason why, is you know, there is a big vote today. It is election day. And in our church's history, today is the day that we will change the future, or at least for one of you, because following this, many of you know, we have a vote to find out who is the best chili maker. Right? So it's very important. Make sure that when you get done here, you go back in the back and get some chili and join us and support our teens as they go on a retreat here in December. But you also know that we have an important vote for the life of our church. If you haven't been here in the last month or you're new for the first time, we have some big changes that are going on in our church. In fact, uh, we have a current buyer for our property and we are looking at relocating and replanting as a new church in the heart of Joliet, which we're excited about. And we we think that this has the opportunity, finding ourselves in the heart of 190,000 people that we have the chance and the opportunity to impact lives, relationships, communities, neighborhoods. We think we can make a huge difference. And so today, before we get there, in order to get us to the future, I want us to take, I want to take each of you through, some of you were here a couple weeks ago, but I want to take us through our compelling past. I want to take us through our compelling past. And to do that, I need you to pray for me. I got to be honest. Uh, I'm really nervous this morning. I don't know. I didn't sleep a lick last night. Um, but this morning's uh, message is called Full House, which, by the way, I love that show. I love that show as a kid. And now we have Fuller House. But anyway, Full House, pray for me this morning. Lord, we give thanks for this time. I pray that you would calm my nerves. I pray that you um, would begin to use these words over the next hour to impact a life, to change life, and ultimately to change our future. Lord, we submit to you this next hour and the next few hours, and we just say that whatever happens, we, we pray that it would be your will, that your will would be done, and that your kingdom come in and through to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Well, in 1923, there was a gentleman by the name of Jimmy Miller. He was a pastor, Reverend J- Jimmy Miller, and another gentleman by the name of Harold Small. And they went to what we called back then a tent meeting. Y'all ever heard this phrase, tent meeting. That was a nice way of what some of us say a revival. Uh, I call it a moment of resurrection or just a chance for new wine, right? And so these guys went to this tent meeting and they realized that God wanted to do something different in the city that they lived in, that they they understood that God wanted to make a major impact in the city that they lived, Joliet. And so in 1923 of August, these gentlemen started what we know today as Joliet First Church of the Nazarene. Right. And what I loved about them is they didn't waste time. They didn't take time. They didn't have big plans. They just thought what God was doing was great. And so they started inviting their friends. They invited their family. They hosted people in their homes. They made meals for them. And little did you know, but by August to November, their houses were full. In fact, uh, they grew. They grew by 166% within the, just those few short months. And so they decided that they were going to move downtown into this little hall. They rented it for $6.50. Pretty cool stuff, huh? $6.50. They rented this hall downtown on Jackson and Park and Joliet. And over the course of the next couple of years, they began to grow and grow and grow and grow. And when that became full, they realized they needed to make More room for more people. And so they said, hey, there's a nice farm property on Cass Street, which who knew that that was a farm back then, but this is what it looked like. And they purchased this three-car garage. They purchased this three-car garage on this farm. And they thought, hey, we want to anticipate a full church again. We did it in our houses. We did it when we were downtown in Joliet. So we want to anticipate another full house. And what's so crazy, so crazy is they made the leadership of this church made a decision in 1926 that changed the future for us. In fact, it's so cool. Uh, If you go back through the history books and you look at the secretary's recordings, you will find that in February 2nd, 1926, I'm sure you'll remember that date, um, there was recorded $124 in the bank account. $124. So they had to make a decision. uh, Do we pay our pastor? What do we do here? So they decided to pay their pastor his salary of 120 dollars Five dollars, and have a net negative of a dollar. They were in debt. And in that board meeting, as they sat there in debt, and they knew they were in debt, and they didn't know where the money was going to come from, they decided, we have to prepare for the future for a full house. And so they decided in that moment, when they didn't know where the money was coming from, when they were really confused about what the future was, they decided to break ground. In fact, the guy's name was Reverend Brown. Reverend Brown started breaking ground in 1926, and they started building this basement. And over the course of three years, uh, Joliet began to grow and grow and grow. In fact, by the time they had finished the storefront, or excuse me, the front of this church, which you'll see in this picture, Joliet first had grown from, uh, they had added 140 lives over the course of three years. 140 people had given their life to Jesus because of this church. And because somebody decided to step in the future, even when they were in debt, they decided to build this building, they decided to make room for people, and they decided the gospel was worth it, that this gift was good enough. And 140 people, over the course of three years, gave their life for Jesus. Just look around you. In three years, this many people came to Christ. Compelling story. It's a compelling story, and, and Juliet like, said, hey, we think we're breaking ground. We think we're doing amazing things, and we can't stop here. We think that God anticipates a fuller house. He wants a bigger house for more people, and so eventually we built here, but by the late 1960s, what was so fun is a revolutionary pastor came in, and he said, we're going to plant churches all over Juliet, and, and by the end of 1969, they planted a church in Africa. So he planted a church that we know today as Crystal Lines, which is not too far from here. And they sent the people from this church that lived in that neighborhood to go to the church. And interestingly, this church grew. From the absence of those people going to the new church, this church began to grow. And they planted another church in Colonial Village. And then we took $3,000. Amazing. Check this out. $3,000 in 1969 And we sent it across the world because we believed. We believed that the gospel was meant to go global. We believed in making disciples in every single nation. So we took a small amount of money, which back then wasn't very small, three grand, and we planted this church in Marita, South Africa. And look at the amount of people that are coming there. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lives were changed because of Joliet First's investment. Because we anticipated that God's future for His people would be full, that the buildings that we would build, the places that we would create where His good news would be shared, they would be full. And the only way that I can share our church's story, the history of our church, the founders of this church, the only word that comes to mind is compelling. Turn to your partner and say, That's compelling. That's compelling. It is. Yeah, don't be afraid. You can talk. It's all right. Some of you do anyway, but just go ahead and talk. It's okay. That's compelling. And if you've been with us over the last two weeks, you would know that over the course of history, over the last 20 or 30 years or so, that story that was compelling gave over to a story of complacency. That you begin to see a a decline in the attendance. You begin to see a decline in the growth. And I think that in some degree we gave up God's dreams. We just kind of gave up and we decided let's just Let's just stay where we are. And I'm not here to beat you up today. That's not the point. The goal is for us to rediscover our ancestors' heritage. We are here to rediscover the passion for a compelling life. And so this morning, I want to share this story with you. It's such a great story uh, that, you know, I just, I'm just, I can't even wait to get to it. But anyway, uh, there's a guy named Luke who tells this story. And if you're new to church or you're new to this whole Jesus thing, or you don't believe in Jesus, or you have questions about Jesus. By the way, we think questions are a good thing. So did this guy that's about to tell this story, Luke. Luke did not believe, he did not believe that this guy Jesus, who supposedly died on a cross, was resurrected from the dead. He wasn't really sure that this happened. So Luke decided he, that he's going to quit his practice. He was a doctor. By the way, who decides to quit being a doctor in order to go be homeless? I mean, that just doesn't make sense to me, but he does. He gives up his practice as a doctor. He gives up his family. And then he heads out to talk with people and to hear stories and to hear things that had happened in Jesus' life from other people. And he begins to compile them together. And what he found was that the life of Jesus was so compelling that he had to say yes. That he couldn't help himself but say yes to this. Amazing story. And what we get, by the way, is one of the most compelling narratives of Jesus' life. It is the longest narrative that we get of Jesus' life. And so he shares with us this morning the story about a prominent, powerful, religious Pharisee who has invited him over for dinner, and they're sitting down together with a group of other leaders. Now, this guy has influence. He has power. He probably has a little bit of money. And by the way, people follow him. People follow him, communities follow him, and nations have followed his leadership. And Jesus sits down with this guy, and he sits down with other leaders. And I think so many of us take this story that we're about to read as a parable about lost people, but I think it's a lesson in leadership. That the parable that we're about to read and the parable that Jesus is going to take us through is really a parable about leadership, because around this table are leaders. Y'all ready for this? Here's what he says. It's so good. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many, 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 many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited already, come, for everything is ready. Now, i got to get this to you because I know it's hard for us to grasp this, but how many of you have ever received a save-the-date invitation for a wedding? Right? Does it bug you? Do those bug you at all? They bug me. Because they have the date, October whatever is 13th, but then they don't give you the time and location, and you know that they know where it's going to take place. And you know that they know what time it's going to take place, but they're not telling you. And it bugs me. It's like you wasted a bunch of money inviting all these people, not even telling them the details. Like you could have just done it in one invitation. Does it? Am I the only one that thinks that way? Seems like a waste of money. I'm a guy, though. Seems like a waste of money. Until, until, think about this. The reason they don't share the place or the date with you or the time with you, the exact time, is because if they shared the time with you, you would fill in your schedule. So if they don't give you the time and they don't give you a place, you pull out that handy-dandy phone, or some of you still write on calendars. I know that seems weird. But what you'll do is you'll just put, you'll, you'll save an event for the entire day because they haven't given you the time or the place. You don't know when it's taking place, and so you just save the entire day for them. And that's the whole point. They don't want you doing anything else on their day. It's a special day for them. This is a gift that they're sharing with each other, and they want to share it with you, and they want you to be there. But if they tell you all the details, the chances are you're going to only be there for a short time, or you may even miss it, right? And this is what Jesus is getting at. Back then, they would send invitations out to people two, three months in advance because they didn't have lives. They were, just, they were pretty boring. You work in the fields, come home, that's it. So they send out invitations, and on the day that they would prepare the banquet, they'd get the candles ready, the fire ready, the table ready, the fine china, all the food, whatever you want, they'd had it ready. When it was finished, then the servant would go out, and he would invite people. And there was this expectation that you had saved the date. Like, you had saved the entire day, you've set the entire day aside, because this is important in their life, right? And if you didn't show up in their day, it was an insult. If you didn't show up, it was considered rude. It was considered an insult. It really was considered a rejection in many ways. And so Jesus tells them, the servant goes out, the banquet's been prepared, and this is what happens. As they approached the people and they began to talk to them, they all alike began to what? Make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please, excuse me. Sounds pretty kind, doesn't it? Another said, and this is my favorite, I don't know why I find it funny, but I find it funny. I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out, like it's a Ferrari or something. I don't know. This is pretty cool. I can't wait to try my five oxen out. I don't know why I found that funny, but it was. And then he says, please, excuse me. Still, another said, I just got married, right? And um, what that means is in their day, when you got married, you had a whole year of no obligations. Now, that sounds great. You didn't have to go to work. You didn't have to serve in the military. You got to be home with your spouse. Now, some of you are like, that's a nightmare. <laughs> but others of you are saying, what a gift. I had a whole year with my spouse. This is amazing. And so he politely said, hey, please excuse me. Now, you've invited people for dinner, right? How many of you have had people over for your house for dinner, right? You know that this isn't just an hourly thing. This is like an all-day kind of event. Would you make a meal for somebody, you make a plan, you go to the grocery store, good chances are you clean your house, you clean your house, um, you get it ready, you go to the store, you come back, you get the food ready, you stick out your ingredients, and you don't want a meal that just tastes great, but you want the presentation to be remarkable. And so you spend minutes precisely cutting those carrots. You make sure that you don't put too much oil or dressing on the salad. By the way, I hate soggy salad, so if you put a lot of dressing, don't invite me over. I don't want to eat it. Soggy salad is the worst, but you put just the right amount so it's still crispy yet, still has that flavor. You get the best steaks out. You put it in a marinade. You put it all day. You smoke it in your smoker, and you get it ready, right? And then, and then, just when you're ready, you've received this text that says, we can't make it please excuse me. You ever had that? You had the whole meal ready, candles ready, dinner set, ready to go. And somebody says, we can't make it. And by the way, I'm a parent. So we use kids as excuse all the time. Hey, my kid, it's sick. You know, Uh, it was 96 point. I don't know, couple points over whatever. Not a big deal, but he's sick. We can't come tonight. You've had this. And you know, you know that when people start making excuses and they start lying to you, it goes deeper than just they can't come, right? The gift that you wanted to offer them, because that's what a meal is, by the way, anyway. When you offer a gift, it is the deepest part of your soul. It is the deepest part of who you are. It is, a, I call it an extension of God's grace. That's what a meal is. It is your way of loving people. And what you think is a gift, some others perceive as an obligation. And then they come up with these excuses as why they can't come. And when you hear that, you feel insulted you feel, in some sense, rejection. Like you're not good enough for them. And so Jesus is really smart. He's got these leaders around a table. They're sitting around a table. All the food is prepared for them, and they know that what Jesus is saying goes deeper than just the meal that's before them. They know this is about them. They know that this is about their leadership. They know, they know that this is about an invitation that was sent out hundreds, if not thousands of years ago. Save the date. When God showed up in history, this is so cool. I don't know if you know this, but when God shows up in history, what makes him different from any other gods is that he shows up with the intention of letting his people know how much he loves them. In fact, you can see it through the Psalms. When you read the Psalms, it says, I delight in you. I rescued you because you have so much value to me. Like, we find a God who thinks you were worth creating. We find a God who thinks that you are worth loving. And he says, this is a gift I want to share with you. But I don't know how to share it with other people unless they can see it. So he says, Can I give you my nation? Can I give you this gift to share with the entire world? This was the invitation. So he invited a bunch of leaders to move this whole thing forward, to move life forward, to move faith forward. This is what God was doing. And when Jesus shows up, who, by the way, in the form of a servant, who comes beckoning at our door, inviting us to taste the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, you begin to hear religious leader after religious leader after religious leader say, please, excuse me. And what seems like a polite apology is actually a rude rejection. In fact, the words Jesus uses in the story for please, excuse me, literally mean to repudiate, to reject, or to deny. And like we said, when Jesus prepares this meal, when he shows up and they begin to say, please excuse me, it is a way of saying, we're not with you. In fact, we don't think what you're doing in this world is even worth following. And the people who were the leaders of these communities, and this was about a nation, it was about a religious nation, it was about a community, even a church, who said, Please excuse us. And the truth is, is when you excuse, you refuse, right? And the question that I want to ask you, and this is what I think is so true, is that each of you sitting here today, in some sense, is a leader. You're either a prominent leader at work, you're a prominent leader in your home, you're a prominent leader as a father, a mother, a sister, a cousin. I don't know where you lead, but you should consider yourself a leader. But my guess is if you're like me, there are times in your life where you say, God, please excuse me. And it's not polite. It's just your kind way of saying, nope, I'm not doing this. And so my question is, God wants to do so much for you and through you and through your leadership, but where are you saying, God, please excuse me? What is it in your life every time God calls you to step up to the plate and do something that nobody else would do, you just keep saying, nope, I don't think I can do that. As a church, let's think about as, as a church, are there things that we have in our life that become, please excuse me. I think it's so easy to choose comfort over courage, right? It's easy to choose the pew and to choose what we know is home rather than to choose courage and to go out into the unknown. And so often, as churches, we say, please excuse me. Now, I don't think that's true about us, and I'll tell you here in a minute. But here's what I do know is that God doesn't wait. Some of y'all think God is patient. No, he's not. He is in a hurry. I don't know if you know this. He has a mission to reach as many people as he can possibly reach, which we'll talk about in just a second. He is in a hurry to get things done. And I think he is tired of waiting on people. He is tired of waiting on churches. And you know what? If you don't step up to the plate, somebody else will. And you know how I know that? Because of what he says next in the story. Here's what he says. The servant came back and reported to his master. Everything that had happened. It says, then the owner of the house became, what? Angry. Somebody in our last service said, I'd be enraged if somebody didn't come to my meal. But he became angry, and he ordered his servant. He says, listen to this. He says, go out quickly into the streets, into the alleys of the town. And, and he says, bring in, who? The poor? The, the crippled? The blind and the, the lame? Are you Are you serious? Sir the servant said well you ordered it has been done and I love this but there is still room there is always room we have to make more room and I've already said it but you have to understand if you don't step up someone else will and what I love is that God uses people who appear completely incapable That's what I love, is that God uses people who appear completely incapable. You know what? If you don't step up in leadership, somebody else will, and there is a good chance that the person that steps up is not the person that you expect. It is not the person that you want. And it is not the person that anybody else would think they could do something crazy. They could do something great. They could do something. And you know what? Here's a little secret. I think that's how people view us. I get it, like we may not be the brightest and the best. We may not have everything or a lot of money. We have an idiot as a lead pastor and some of you will confirm that. You can go ahead and shake your head uh, and confirm that. We have young leaders who are inexperienced as pastors and we're learning what it means to grow and to lead. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we are stepping up. And what has been so fun as, as a pastor over the last three years, as your pastor over the last three years, Is when I first got there, here, there was a lot of, please excuse me. And some of it wasn't said very nicely. (laughs) But there are some of you sitting here today who were those people at the very beginning. I can look at you. I can see your faces. I can see your stories. I remember the opposition. You're like, I'm not doing that. We're not doing this. And guess what? You decided, instead of saying, please excuse me, you're saying, God, just use me. Whatever you want, you got it. I'm here. I'm on board. If that means me giving up everything that I want, I'm willing to do it for the sake of God's mission. And so many of you have stepped up into the plate. And guess what? Nobody expects that we would be the church that would make a difference. Man, I feel like preaching. I would take on my jacket and, no, I'm just kidding. But what I love about our church, when I tell people in our district, hey, guess what? We're going to sell our property. We've got another possible property that we're going to replant and start over new, and we're going to do great things. We're going to be in the heart of 190,000 people, and we think that more and more people will come up and give their life to Jesus because we're willing to step out into the unknown and have faith And people look at me and they say, it's at first. Are we talking about the same church that I went to 20 years ago? Because I was there. I mean, are you talking about the same church that was there 30, 40 years? That can't be that church. And what I love is when over the last few weeks, hearing and talking with each of you, all of you have stepped up the plate and you've said, I know we aren't the brightest. I know we're not the best but I'm not going to excuse me. I'm just going to let God use me. And kudos to each of you for doing that. Thank you for being leaders. And this is so important in God's story because as leaders of this church, we anticipate a full house. Because you step up and because you think God's mission is important, because you think other people's lives are important, you step up and lives are changed and we anticipate and we expect... A full house. And this is so good. You know how I know this is what we should anticipate? Listen to what Jesus says next. Then the master told his servant, go out and compel them. Julie, at first, you remember our beginning. Compelling. Go out and compel them to come in. Now say this with me. So that my house will be full. Not that it may be, not that it might be, or that there's a chance that it might be. These, these are Jesus' words. So that my house will be full. Now, you've got to use your imagination when you read the Bible. If you're not using your imagination, you're not reading the Bible right. Okay, I'm just letting you know that. You've got to get creative with it. Otherwise, you'll fall asleep. So I want to take it, <laughs> totally kidding. I want to take it from a servant's perspective, right? What they don't say in the story is implied, at least in the, you know, the BLT, Brad's Living Translation. And here's what I think. I think as a servant, these people prepared the room They lit the candles, they set the table, they got out the fine china. I don't even know if they had china back then, but it sounds good. Uh, Everything was set. You can guarantee that they were preparing the food. And you know, come on, in God's kingdom, the last are first. So there was a good chance that they were probably getting a little taste of the meal to come. Come on, you've watched your grandfather, you've watched your mother or your dad cut the turkey at Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, by the way, this week. But you watch. You ever notice that the turkey comes out nice and full? And by the time it hits the plate, it's about half the size that it was before. Why is that? Because the goober head cutting the turkey is always getting a taste of it before it's served. You watch. They look around. Nobody's looking. Right? That's what happens over and over. And I think the servants were back there and they were eating some turkey and I think they were eating some pumpkin pie and they put cranberry sauce on their stuffing. By the way, stuffing is only made inside of a turkey. Just letting you know. Even with all the diseases and bacteria that gets in, it's great, fantastic. But they, they got a taste of something good. They got a taste of God's gift to them. And what did they do? They couldn't help but run out and share it with other people. It was too compelling that when they share it, shared it, others couldn't help but help themselves. And here's what I think, and this is what I want you to know today. If you don't get anything out of the rest of the day, here's what I want you to know. When you lead compelling lives, people come. That's the truth. When you lead a compelling life in Christ, when you lead a compelling life in Jesus, people will come. You say, Brad, is it really just about growth? No. It's about living a life so spiritually deep and an experience so amazing with God that when you leave here, when you leave your house, when you leave your time of prayer and you enter into the world that sucks, the life out of you. I was going to leave it there. You have something to offer that's compelling. Where other people look at you and say, I want whatever it is you're eating. And you're saying, why, why should we live compelling lives? Why should we have a compelling church? And here's why. He's already said it. Because God anticipates A full house. Ah, This is exciting. Our beginning was about a full house. And I didn't say it. Jesus Christ, the Savior of you and me, said it himself that God anticipates a full house so that my house will be full. Now, if you're like me, this idea of selling this and purchasing a new property and moving as a new church is scary right I know some of you I can empathize with you you've been here longer than I've been alive some of you have had weddings here some of you have lost loved ones here in fact you can probably remember the day that you had a funeral for your loved one right in this space You may remember the day that you stood up on this platform in front of a bunch of people under a nice little gazebo and had your first wedding. Hopefully your only wedding, but your first wedding. Some of you remember watching your little kids just grow up. You have a lot at stake. And I get that it's so hard to leave that. And I know I've only been here three years, but I want you to know that I have a lot of stake as well. I don't know if you know this, but if this whole thing goes toes up and it doesn't work out, and we fail miserably, I will be homeless. I'll be living with my in-laws. I've already told them, just get the basement ready. Uh, We're coming to live with you. I don't know if you know this, though, but but this is a leap. I have a lot at stake. I have My kids are invested in the schools that they go to. They love their teachers. They love their principal. They love the friends that they have. When you go down our street, you will find tons of kids playing together. It's because we build great relationships with our neighbors. And some of you have built great relationships with you here. You have loved our family so well. And I thank you for that. But the thought that this could go south, the thought of stepping into the unknown and there's a lot of uncertainty is scary. But I could lose it all just like you could lose it all. I want to be a leader and I know you want to be a leader who steps up with full faith because you anticipate that your God wants a full house